Hey, it's Bobby Hart, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. See you there. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, this is On Screen and Beyond, episode 359. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, from the music industry, we have a hit songwriter, musician, half of Boyce and Heart, wrote many of the hits for the Monkees, nominated for an Oscar, Grammy nomination, and Golden Globe nomination. It is Bobby Hart who's going to be joining us. He, uh, he's got a new book out, and it's called Psychedelic Bubblegum, Boyce and Heart, The Monkees, and Turning Mayhem into Miracles. He's going to let us know about all those hits he had and everything else it's a great show coming your way i hope you're going to be sticking around for that and what do you say why don't we get right into it so we can get to that bobby hart interview it's time for remake madness right here on on screen and beyond Please hang up and try again. remake madness well there is no animated movie that's safe from disney right now as they are developing a live action version of pinocchio and that doesn't surprise us because they've done it with so many of their other animated films. And I'm sure it's not going to stop here. But Pinocchio will be coming your way. And uh, we'll see what happens with that one. And a remake of Marco Polo is in the works. The film is going to be starring Hayden Christensen. And a remake of Flash Gordon is moving along. 20th Century Fox is in talks with Matthew Vaughn, who directed Kingsman. The Secret Service, he's going to be directing it. So he did such a good job with that one. It sounds like Flash Gordon could be a movie you want to see. Keep you informed on that. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies? We've got it next. Upcoming new movies. Well, it looks like the director of Whiplash is setting out on his next film, which will be La La Land, and it's a musical with many big-name stars coming your way on that one. And Kevin Spacey will lend his voice to Baby Boss. It's an animated film about a suit-wearing, briefcase-carrying baby who, along with his seven-year-old brother, try to stop a dastardly plan by the CEO of Puppy Co. And that's releasing on 2017. And you can look for Will Smith and Alec Baldwin to star as doctors in concussion this December as a film takes a look uh, at uh, the concussion problem in the NFL and the football players who suffer from that. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, Judd Hirsch and Bill Pullman are now both confirmed to be returning for Independence Day 2 as they prepare to fight aliens once again. And word is out that Ryan Gosling is in talks right now to appear in Blade Runner 2 with Harrison Ford. And on the Mallrats 2 front, looks like uh, Kevin Smith says along with 18 returning characters, there will be half a dozen new ones. 
And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we'll take a look at TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, July 14th, Batman, the second season, part two. We'll be hitting stores with a bang and a pow and a bop and all that sort of stuff. On July 6th, Vikings Season 3 lands on Blu-ray. And The Walking Dead, the complete fifth season, wanders into stores on Blu-ray and DVD on August 25th. That is it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we'll take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Movies on DVD. We talked about this movie earlier. On June 9th, Kingsman, The Secret Service will arrive on Blu-ray and DVD. And Unfinished Business with Vince Vaughn will land on Blu-ray and DVD on June 16th. And on July 7th, Simon Pegg stars in Kill Me Three Times. And that's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it is TV and Entertainment Time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV and Entertainment Time, the Oscar-nominated film In Cold Blood from 1967 is getting a TV remake into a TV series. And, of course, the one half of the star of that film was Scott Wilson, who you remember now from The Walking Dead. Many of you remember him. But he was also a past guest here on On Screen and Beyond. So be sure to go back to onscreenandbeyond.com in our rerun section and look for our interview with Scott Wilson from The Walking Dead and also many other films and, of course, In Cold Blood. And let's see here. HBO has renewed Veep for a fifth season and Silicon Valley for a third season. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity Birthdays on April 19th. Eleanor Donahue of Father Knows Best turns 78. And James Franco turns 37. April 20th, look for Jessica Lange to turn 66. And George Takai of Star Trek, 78. On April 21st, Tony Danza turns 64. And Charles Grodin, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, turns 80. On April 22nd, Jack Nicholson turns 78 years old. And on April 23rd, George Lopez turns 54. Valerie Bertinelli turns 55. April 24th, it looks like Barbara Streisand turns 73. And on April 25th, Al Pacino turns 75. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, Karen O. of Burbank, California turns 42 on April 23rd. If you 
or a friend or a relative is going to be having a birthday and you want to celebrate it here with all the listeners of On Screen and Beyond all over the world, send the information to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com and we will get that on and we will all wish you a very happy birthday. So happy birthday going out to all those people we just mentioned. And it is now time for our interview with Bobby Hart, hit songwriter, musician, and half of Boyce and Hart. And like I said, he wrote so many of the Monkees hits, including the title song, The Monkees, the theme song. So, Bobby Hart is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. My guest today on On Screen and Beyond has been nominated for an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Golden Globe. He is a songwriter, musician, and hitmaker who co-wrote the theme from The Monkees, The Last Train to Clarksville, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, Hurt So Bad, I Wonder What She's Doing Tonight, Come a Little Bit Closer, and so many other songs. He's one half of Boyce and Heart, and he has a new book coming out called Psychedelic Bubblegum, Boyce and Hart, The Monkees, and Turning Mayhem into Miracles. It's Bobby Hart. Bobby, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. That, that book title is a, <laughs> is a mouthful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> People ask about it, uh, and I tell them that it's not about drugs. The book is not about drugs. It's about music. And uh, I, was, I was talking in one of the chapters about <clears throat> that uh, we'd kind of gotten typecast, Tommy Boyce and I, as, as bubblegum songwriters and record producers because uh, of the ages of many of our our fans that were buying the Monkees records and so on. Mm-hmm. So they called us bubblegum. But then I mentioned that even though we had our, our records had been recorded, when we first came back out here to, to Los Angeles from our, our first uh, few years of having hits in New York, uh, it was still, it was 1965, so we're just getting through the first half of the 60s, and uh, and the, our, our, our songs that we were writing were getting recorded by people like Gary Lewis and the Playboys and Herman's Hermits and mm-hmm. Dino Desi and Billy. They're kind of the, the soft rock guys. But as soon as we got here, you could find Tommy and me down on the Sunset Strip almost any night that we weren't touring or writing or in the studio. And we'd be soaking up the the doors and uh, Arthur Lee and Love and this, the harder edge stuff that we were that was coming out that they were calling psychedelic music. So you would see that influence soon uh, show up in the records we were producing. So I said it probably a more appropriate name would be for for the genre we were doing at that time it would be psychedelic bubblegum. <laughs> well, you know, it bothers me when people try to pigeonhole. A song, whether it's country yeah. or, or, or pop or rock or, or or whatever, and what what I think is, if it's a good song, it's a good song. It doesn't matter what it is. It's true, and that's really the great thing about uh, about the new uh, uh, internet stuff that's going on and the YouTube stuff. That there's just it that this the music that's there now. Is too diverse to pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. It's just something for everybody, yeah. and it's pretty cool. And, and the thing is, the songs you wrote, they're all classics. I mean, they're songs that people are still listening to now. Right. Well, uh, Come a Little Bit Closer, of course, was a top 
top three hit for for a pop act in the Americans, but it was also a top ten country record by Johnny Duncan. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. And some of our, uh, many of our songs, you know, crossed over to the R&B charts. I guess they have to do it just, they just, you know, they they, they make these uh, distinctions because if you're going to have a radio station, you have to tell people what what you're offering. Well, right. We're offering oldies or we're offering mm-hmm. country or R&B or adult contemporary. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it makes it easier for people to find what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I share your... Uh, your opinion about pigeonholing, it's not always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, what made you decide to do a book at this time? Something I've been just fooling around with for years. I mean, I mean, into the decades, maybe at least 15 years, where just memories and uh, <clears throat> I would be doing interviews like this one where I would be talking about the past and people seem to be interested, so... I uh, I've, I did a couple versions. I did a full version myself that I wasn't happy with, and uh, so I was looking around for a co-writer and uh, interviewed a few people. But I finally was talking to an old friend, a uh, guy I've known since 1968, I think, and he has uh, a media company, and he has uh, so he 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 runs political campaigns and all kinds of stuff. But he said, you know. I could I could probably do this with you if you want. Uh, I said I write speeches for governors and uh, and I write copy every day for my ad agency and so I didn't really realize I hadn't been that deep into what he had done what he was doing up until then but he's been doing that for decades mm-hmm. and it was just so much fun because this is somebody that I've known we, I share a spiritual path with he's he's a follower of Brahmins Yogananda like I am and. Uh, so, as I always have in my career, I, I hook up with a, a great partner, and it just makes it so much more fun than trying to sit there laboring by yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it, it's always better to to bounce things off people and, and get an idea yeah. of of what you know what's good, what's bad, what's different, which can you do this and and all that. And the end result is always better. I mm-hmm. mean, if it's if it's uh, two people who respect each other's input. It's always going to be better than just one of them by themselves. Yeah. How did you get involved with the monkeys, with the TV show? Well, uh, I mentioned that w- that we uh, that Tommy and I had hits in New York, and then um, I was on the road uh, as a backup singer for Teddy Randazzo. We were playing Vegas, uh, uh, twelve weeks on, twelve weeks off, and r- other places around the world, and. Uh, so I was away from Tommy, and one of those times when Tommy, when I wasn't in New York, Tommy got uh, a call from a guy named Don Kirshner, mm-hmm. the guy who started Nevin's Kirshner Music and built it into the, the hottest uh, 60s music publisher and then sold his companies to Green Jim's Columbia Music. So he he called Tommy and offered him a job as a staff writer, uh, but in California. So, of course, that was that was a... A big break for Tommy, and he took took it, and he got here, got out here maybe a few months before me. But he started calling me in Vegas and saying, "You got to come and, and and join me out here. We can. I'll give you the same do, deal I've got. We get a hundred dollars a week. We don't have to work a day gig. We can just just write songs." And uh, so that's what happened. I came out and joined him in uh, I think March or April of 1965. And uh, because Screen Gems Columbia Music now. Uh, the 
parent company to the music publisher, uh, you know, owned a, a movie studio and a, and a TV mm-hmm. studio. So we got sent out for a lot of those kinds of projects. And this was just one of them. We, we got sent over to the Columbia Pictures lot, Tommy and I, to meet Bert Schneider of Rafelson of Productions. They were thinking of doing this this uh, pilot for a show about four unknown musicians. And uh, we hit it off right away with uh, with Bert and, and met his partner, uh, uh, Bob Rafelson, and uh, convinced them that we were their guys to... Uh, to do the music they needed for the pilot show. Hmm. Now, did you guys have any intentions of even trying out to get the parts? Yeah, Tommy uh, kicked that around in his mind, and he would have liked that, I think. Uh, but it was never really a consideration for us because by the time they were auditioning, we were in the studio doing what they needed us to do. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't looking to... There was two different uh, job descriptions. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Of course, there was that whole thing of the monkeys not playing their music and everything, and and uh, it, it, how how did that affect you guys? You know, I mean, here you guys are writing all these great songs and and, and playing the music too, correct? Well, yeah. For the first album, the album that we the songs that we produced in the the first album and some cuts in the second album, we used uh, my my band, which had been Teddy Rendazzo's band, and then. When he wasn't working, they came out, and we formed a group called the Candy Store Profits, and we were playing clubs around L.A. And so when we got the Monkees Project as producers, we we used them in the studio. So it was Jerry McGee and Larry Taylor on the bass, and then uh, three great guitarists. Jerry uh, uh, Billy Lewis was on drums, but the three great guitarists were Jerry McGee, Louis Sheldon, and Wayne Irwin. And then Tommy and I would... I would do the keyboards when necessary, and Tommy would do uh, uh, a, uh, an acoustic guitar part when necessary, and those kinds of things, or percussion. So there, what you did have, the Monkey Sound started off to be kind of a real garage band. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't studio musicians. Mm-hmm. And when those uh, when those kinds of articles came out talking about the Monkeys not playing on their own records we just laughed because uh you could count on one hand the groups that did play on their own records i mean you know up until that point uh mostly studio musicians were doing all the all the recordings oh really whether it was the beach boys or whether it was elvis presley or frank sinatra yeah studio musicians that was just the way it worked Mm -hmm. so to single the monkeys out of course i understood why because they had a television show which but you look, you turned, you flipped that on, and it looked like they were playing their own music. Right. Yeah. But that was a television show. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't. It wasn't really a taken seriously by us. But uh, Michael Nesmith, I think, right from the beginning, was seeing how he could uh, take more control, how the group could could have more control of their own music, not only writing but producing, and. Um, and so he was feeding those flames by giving interviews. I know there was a Saturday Evening Post interview that he gave where he really blasted, saying, yeah, it's true, we're just manufactured, and they poured all this money into this thing, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we're just actors. And, uh, you know, s- somehow uh, using that as ammunition to, to gain more control. It actually worked after a while. They, they did get the yeah. right to produce and 
write their own records. Yeah. Now, as far as the songs themselves, um, now, you, you know, we hear uh, Lennon and McCartney, and, you know, now people can say, oh, that's a, a Lennon song, and that's a McCartney song. And of course, yeah. there was always the, the, the back and forth on it also, you know, the input. But uh, looking at your songs, is, is, there, is that the same way? Is there more of a Bobby Hart song here than a, you know, a, a Tommy Boy song here? Or, or were they really a complete work together? In the beginning, it, it was a complete work together because there wasn't the pressure of success and we were writing leisurely at the beach or in the park or wherever we felt like it and we'd stock, stockpile a few songs and so we could turn them in one a week and there was no pressure at all. It was a great uh, Los Angeles, Southern California lifestyle for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as, things, as things heated up... Uh, I guess about those songs, you could say even then there would be one. One of us would probably say, hey, "How about this idea?" Or one would bring a, a title to a, re- to a writing session. But we'd both be there. Yeah. Later on, uh, I'm talking about now in the '67, '68 when Tommy and I became artists, uh, and things got to r- really be hectic in our careers because we were touring and writing and producing ourselves and others. So later on, there were songs that were almost completely written by one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd say by our third album, that was uh, more more evident. Probably it's not too hard to discern. Yeah. I was I was uh, getting much more interested in Eastern uh, mysticism and, and in meditation, and I was writing songs that reflected some of my newfound philosophies like it's all happening on the inside and uh and tommy was pretty much still uh still doing his bubblegum pop but he he wanted to move into a harder edge as well and he was writing a little harder Hmm. so you were the george harrison of the group (laughs) yeah (laughs) now Looking at all these other groups, I mean, the list of songs that you have, uh, they're such great songs, they still hold up today. Was there any competition between you and, and say, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or any of those groups where, you know, you said, oh, we got to come up with something, you know, better? And, 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 you know, you like I say, you had a lot of string of hits here. You know, I don't think there was that kind of pressure uh, that we read about uh, between the Beatles and the Beach Boys going back and forth trying to top each mm-hmm. other. That was That had both kind of both of those had kind of calmed down a bit. And uh, we didn't see ourselves competing with anybody. We just saw, and, you know, we knew from that variant, uh, uh, Tommy and I knew from, Tommy and I knew from the, the first meeting with, with Raybird Productions that this was a great formula to have, to have pop music on television and regular, regularly every Every week, mm-hmm. uh, we, we we remembered what had happened when Ricky Nelson sang his first song on on the Ozzy and Harriet show. And right, yeah. the power of television. Yeah. So uh, that that was that was the that's where the you know that was just a great break mm-hmm. was for us and for anybody involved with it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so we we didn't see ourselves as competing, just just trying to to uh, continue to. Uh, have to write songs at a pace that could could feed this uh, this hungry monster that had been created. 
yeah, amazing. It, I mean, you know, let the other guys fight. You guys just sit back there and write some great songs. That's that's yeah. the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and luckily we had a few stockpiled by the, you know for the first album. By the time the second Monkeys album, and then followed by uh, our our careers, it was really uh, then we had to buckle down, and it was no more driving to the beach and having fun. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, when you were doing voice and heart, and you were actually touring and, and doing your own stuff. Uh, were you still writing for people other than yourselves? We continue to write for the monkeys. In fact, we have uh, songs. Uh, I, I have cuts on every monkey album, I believe, except with the exception of the soundtrack to their movie, mm-hmm. and Head, yeah. with the exception of the one regrouping that they did on Rhino Records uh, in the 90s, mm-hmm. yep. Just Us, which was everything with them. Yeah, but on every other Monkey record, even even later on, I had a partner in the '80s named Dick Eastman, and uh, we had a we have two Monkeys cuts and uh, mm. a cut on the that was then this was now album on Arista. So uh, yeah, we did continue writing for others, but then it came to a, a time when we did have to pretty much concentrate on our own careers, and that was all encompassing. Yeah, is there anything you ever gave away? that you said later on, you said, shoot, <laughs> I wish I could have kept that one. <laughs> no, not really. We never looked at it that way. Um, I, I think the very, maybe the very first song I wrote when I came out here at 18 uh, to California to make my fortune. <laughs> and uh, I was pretty proud of this first demo that I had done. Uh, and one day a music publisher came into the studio where I was, making demos, and he really liked it, and he wanted to sign it to Mel, Mel, Mills Music, which was a big music publisher in the, in the early days. And I said, oh, I'm not going to give this away to somebody else to record. I want to record this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably the only time that I ever had that. Uh, I never took that position because mm-hmm. I realized soon after that would have been a great little springboard for me if to have a, a Mills Music behind one of my songs and maybe getting a, a, a hit artist on it. Yeah, been, but anyway, I, I got a record deal right away and started doing my own thing and having, writing my own songs and recording them and putting them out on a lot of different labels. I probably had uh, ten or twelve bombs before uh, I had any success, and then it was with a partner named Tommy Boyce. Yeah. yeah. Now, of all the songs you've written, and I'm not talking monetary wise, you know, what paid for kids' college or anything like that, but is there any certain song that you wrote? that was your favorite that meant the most to you? Well, it's hard. You know, I've heard this before. They're like your kids and you can't... Right, you can't yeah. One. <laughs> there are songs that, uh, that I don't, that I'm not proud of, but the, most, of the, most of the ones that you would have heard of that got recorded, I'm, I'm proud enough of to, to still talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I want to be free 
had a couple things going for it. Good song. Big yeah. one. One is that one one of the only songs that I remember writing just, especially in the later days, writing just because we had a night off and felt like writing a song, rather than writing to order mm-hmm. for a particular group for a particular artist to record, and then it ended up being recorded probably by more different artists than any other song that we wrote. The other thing it has going for it is that it was top ten three times in three different decades by three different artists. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was Little Anthony and the Imperials in 65, and then uh, recorded by the Letterman, top ten again in 1970. And then Linda Ronstadt, top ten again in 1980. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Huh. That's amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's due to come out again, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, we missed the 90s, and uh, so we're trying to, trying to uh, you know, let's see. Uh, uh, a rapper, I can't think of his name right now, did it, and also Alicia Keys recorded it, but not as a single. Oh, okay. Huh. Now, are you still touring at all? Well, you know, because of the book, uh, I have this new book coming out called Psychedelic Bubblegum, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I, that and also uh, there was a, a documentary has been made about the Boyce and Hart career, which is fun. And so I've, I've, uh, I've gone out a couple, went out a couple times last year to film festivals. And I did go to the Monkey Convention last year. Yes. Where they were showing that. New Jersey, yeah. So I've been going out more, and now with with the book, uh, I'll be I'll be touring and doing a few uh, signing events and so on. We'll be in New York uh, the last week of May. The book comes out on the 12th of May, but we're doing uh, a pre-sales. You can go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble and and uh, do a pre-sale, and then they'll ship it as soon as it's released. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go on, uh, you want to go on my website, bobbyhard.com. Uh, they're offering there uh, a free download of an unreleased song uh, if you order the book. Wow, great. Huh. Now, are you doing any singing and, and, and touring at all? No, you know, uh, when you're part of a duo and, you, and your partner has passed on, True, it's, yeah. it's difficult to do that kind of... I've had offers from, from people... Uh, I can picture you doing the, t- the Turtles so tour. If you then. want to go out and do all these shows, I'll sing Tommy's part. Right. <laughs> that would be great, you know. But it still wouldn't be Tommy. Yeah. And I just, I've just avoided that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like I say, you, you've had such great hits over the years that uh, it, would be, uh, it would be great to see you on stage again. Well, thank you. That would, uh, it would be fun to do it. The, the last show I did with Tommy was uh, at the Chicago Monkeys convention. It must have been around, hmm, I can't remember when it was, in the mid-'90s, I suppose. Yeah. No, early-'90s. Yeah. So are you still good friends with the? Of course, Mickey did your uh, forward, right? Yeah, he was uh, very kind to do the forward for the for the for my book, and uh, he's uh, also promoting the book on his Facebook page and website. And uh, Peter's doing the same. And uh, yeah, I stayed in touch. I, I saw Peter in New York uh, last March, and we did a a Q and A Q&A together after the screening of of uh, Tommy Bush and Bobby Hart, the guys who wrote them, the, the documentary thing. Mm. 
Yeah, Pete has been a guest yes. here on our show. We had him has a he? few years back. Yeah, great, yeah. great guest. Well, he is because he's so articulate, you know, and he he played the the dumb monkey, but he's probably <laughs> one of the most intelligent guys I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did a very nice endorsement for my book, and uh, so I, I stay in touch with him. Hmm. Well, there's so many other things I want to ask you, but I know we're running out of time. But uh, uh, I, I want to finish up with two final questions, if we can, if you get a moment. Sure. Okay. Taking us away from your music and everything else, your book, and um, when you sit back and relax, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past, and your favorite movies now and of the past? Well, that's uh, let's, let me think about this one. Let's see, TV shows from the past. Growing up as a kid, what did you enjoy? You know, I've always been a big TV guy, uh, but I'd, there must be some from the past. Nothing is jumping out at me for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Uh, maybe as I think, uh, I'll come up with something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> for um, movies, uh, there's some great movies. Uh, all, you know, all different Periods. I love uh, Turner Classics, and I well, I check it every day to see what what movies from. I love the screwball comedies from the '30s. Yeah, yeah. I love the slapstick. Uh, w. C. Fields was a favorite of both Tommy and and me. Um, but those, uh, you know, and I, I try to. I do try to watch. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life every Christmas time. That's classic. That movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, some of the 80s, 90s movies, uh, uh, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson was great. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Good Will Hunting. Uh, I love another Nicholson movie called, uh, uh, I think it's called A Few Good Men. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen that many, many times on television. Mm-hmm. What about music? Who were the, the, the people that inspired you? Well, I was when I was coming up, you know, I, I, I loved music right from as long as I can remember, but I didn't like what they were calling popular music in those days, which was the old-style Sinatra-style uh, uh, Joe Stafford. They had something called Your Hit Parade on every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... They had a staff of five, I think, uh, singers who would sing the hits of that week, top hits of that week, and and I wasn't into it at all. It just seemed like it seemed like it didn't have much soul to it or emotion to it. It was more uh, technical oriented. So I listened to country music. I grew up on country music, and I loved I loved the old country guys from Webb Pierce and, uh, and Hank Snow. Hanks, no, all the Hanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Hank, <laughs> Hank Williams and Hank Lachlan. And, yeah, and uh, so that's what I cut my teeth on. And then when rock and roll came in, uh, the country the country station in Phoenix, where I grew up, was was the number one station. And uh, so they were the first to play Elvis Presley and uh, Gene Vincent and and uh, uh, Perkins. Uh, Mm-hmm. Whatever his name was, Kyle Perkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I loved I loved rockabilly. So those were really my first influences were were the Elvis guys and the rockabilly guys. And when I got to, to L.A. in 1958, 
I got my first record deal uh, pretty much singing as a rockabilly guy. Really? Wow. Yeah. You can find it on it's on YouTube under Robert Luke Harshman, which was my given mm-hmm. name. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so those are my influences, and then and then the pop stations, of course, switched over and started playing not only the rockabilly stuff, but the what had been called race music up until then, the R and B stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I was very influenced, and I was uh, earlier than that even I was influenced. Well, I, maybe not. I would say in my my mid-teens, I was influenced by uh, uh, the black music that was starting to hear. In those days, I was still having to listen to the to the R&B station. And I'd have to drive to the to that section of town, to the African American section of town, to to, to buy those records. Hmm. Wow! But uh, groups like uh, the Moon Glows and uh, uh, even the even the coasters and and the uh, the name of the group that had the girl in it. Uh, Tony Williams was the lead singer. The Platters. The Platters. Oh, okay. Made yeah. some great records. Oh yeah, jeez. So I was I was influenced by that, and then when I was down in the in the south central part of Phoenix buying R and B records, I got turned on to black gospel records. And that that really was an influence on me. I loved black gospel, and still do. And uh, so those are my early influences. And then, uh, you know, rock, the, the rock era hit, and a whole bunch of people that I that I uh, respected and then enjoyed after that. Jeez. Hmm. Well, Bobby, uh, everybody on May 12th should be heading out to the stores to get psychedelic bubble gum, Boys and Heart, The Monkeys, and Turning Mayhem into Miracles. Sounds like a great book. Uh, I love those books about, uh, you know, the people from the rock and roll era, and uh, you, you certainly have a, a stream of hits that everybody could enjoy. Well, there's a lot of great stories in there for, uh, about how they got... Uh, made and in more in detail than I told anywhere else and behind the scenes things that I've never told. I've basically been kind of a private guy, but for for people who want to hear about there's that there's plenty of that. But it's also uh, basically it's a spiritual journey is is woven through it. So there's the the later chapters of of uh, how I how I changed my life uh, through changing my thoughts and there's tips. For other people, how they can do the same in their life, and uh, so there's there's more than just the music. But I think those who are looking for music will enjoy it very much. Yeah, well, Bobby, and you don't have to wait till the 12th of May. You can you can pre-order on Amazon or right. Yes, or yeah, pre-order it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bobby, I thank you so much for taking the time to share with us, and can't wait for the book to come out. It's my pleasure, Brian, and I hope you enjoy it. A big thank you going out to Bobby Hart for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. Be sure to check his new book out, Psychedelic, Bubblegum, Boys and Heart, The Monkeys, and Turning Mayhem into Miracles. It comes out on May 12th. Be sure to check it out, but you can pre-order it at Amazon. So be sure to do that, and it'll come to your house on the day that it's released. So uh, be sure to check that out. It's going to have a lot of great stories, I know. And uh, thank Bobby once again for taking the time to talk to us. Well, if you're on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you are on iTunes, be sure to leave a review. 
And uh, if you have uh, you know any reason you want to talk to me, whether it's to suggest a guest or anything, just uh, send me an email at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I read every single email that comes through, and I try to answer every single email that uh, is sent to us. And we appreciate it very much. A lot of people listening all over the world, and it's always a lot of fun to take a look at where they're coming from. And uh, like I say, it keeps bouncing back and forth. Uh, it's, uh, you know, who's the top one? Well, the top one is always the United States. I got I to tell you that we have more listeners there. But uh, then, uh, you know, second place through, say, 10th place, it, it's, it's constantly changing. And uh, we do appreciate it. And I do appreciate all the emails that are coming in from all over the world. So we thank you very much for that. So that's a wrap for this week. And until next week, when we once again take you on screen... And beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Mm-hmm.